welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. I have another important broadcast for you today, one that's been very much on my heart. We're in a series called Transformative Parenting, which involves the spiritual formation of children that strengthens them internally in such a way is that their spiritual life will thrive even in the midst of our darkening culture. And today we're going to be talking specifically about fathers and mothers teaching a faith that sticks. In the past, Catholic parents have successfully raised their children in the faith by allowing religious education programs called CCD in the Catholic Church, or Catholic schools or perhaps youth groups to do all the heavy lifting in faith formation. And you know, in past generations, this this worked okay, but in today's world, the faith is not sticking with youth and young adults. In fact, Pope Benedict XVI said that in our highly secularized culture, it's contributing to a widespread failure to transmit the faith to the coming generation. And the Pope described this crisis as, quote, an educational emergency, unquote. What was the response to the Pope's declaration of an educational emergency? in transmitting the faith to the coming generation due to the widespread cultural collapse we're in? Now, there were some notable exceptions, but overall, it was a collective (sighs) yawn. Folks were asleep in the midst of a crisis, and in a crisis, there should be a little adrenaline pumping to get our attention to become spiritually alert and aware of the situation that our children are facing, the world which our children are growing into. The Barna Research Group, which is a religious polling organization, had a 2013 report showing that a majority of young Catholics aged 18 to 29 admit to dropping out of regular mass attendance. 56% of young Catholics 18 to 29 have dropped out of mass, over half. That's an emergency. Ah, you say, but I'm just going to send my kids to the Catholic schools. I don't have to face this situation. Remember, it was a successful strategy in past generations when parents allowed the Catholic schools to do the heavy lifting. But listen to what this same Barna 2013 report said, quote, those who have attended a Catholic school are no more favorable or unfavorable to the norm toward Catholicism, the church, and mass. In fact, the Barna Group found that those who attended a Catholic school growing up had slightly higher misgivings about the church's stance on sexuality and birth control. Parents, priests, catechists, everybody, please hear me carefully. Classroom instruction alone is not enough to keep kids Catholic in today's world. 
the educational emergency that Pope Benedict warned about is going to get worse unless we enact major modifications in our methods used for the spiritual formation of youth. Now today, what I want to share with you is just the most solid strategy for the spiritual formation of children that was ever, ever devised. And it doesn't come in some slick, silver-plated book that's $39.95. It's actually found in an Old Testament book called Deuteronomy chapter 6. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a three-step strategy for keeping your kids faithful, for making the faith stick in the worst of cultural situations. Now, I just did a little mental inventory and a couple of uh, reviews of some of the things that the children of Israel were going to face when they entered the Promised Land. Deuteronomy 6 was written, just to refresh your memory, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt for centuries. They'd just been delivered and crossed the Red Sea. They were in the wilderness. And now when God gives that second reading of the law to Moses, and Moses is about to reverberate that to the children of Israel, they're on the border. They're ready to go in to the worst sections of San Francisco, but it wasn't just a couple of streets in San Francisco. It was the whole land was riddled with the most grotesque and abominable immorality and infidelity you could ever imagine. Here's just some of the things that were going on. Of course, just gross and rampant uh, sexual immorality, sodomy, rape, prostitution was part of a religious act. And worst of all, in a way worst of all, Moloch worship. In fact, uh, if you do what I'm going to recommend, I'd only recommend a few seconds because it's kind of hard to take. But just go to Google Images and type in Moloch worship. And there you will see religious priests in the land of Canaan and parents and worshipers rejoicing as they put their newborn babies on a burning altar to Moloch and watch their children being burned alive. Now, I grant you things aren't real rosy culturally and morally in the United States right now, but we're not quite there yet. But this was the situation that the people of Israel were going to face. This is a situation that the people of Israel were going to be raising their children up in. And in this situation, this is the strategy that God gave to the children of Israel, where prostitution was a religious act, and burning your child alive to a pagan idol was also a religious act. How are you going to keep the faith? How, how is the faith going to survive in such a cultural situation? Well, it's a three-step strategy out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, somebody say, uh, wait a second. Isn't Deuteronomy Old Testament stuff? Now, stuffing is what we put in turkeys on Thanksgiving. And let me tell you, there is absolutely no stuff or stuffing in any of the Bible. There was a heretic 
condemned by the Catholic Church early in its history called Marcion, who thought the Old Testament was stuff and we should just get rid of it, and he was condemned as a heretic. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 isn't Old Testament stuff. In addition, listen very carefully. It's not just talk about the Holy Family. The Holy Family is kind of, they're light bearers, they're they're path leaders, they're icebreakers, they're showing us the way to go through the way they live their life. I can guarantee you that St. Joseph and the Blessed Virgin Mary use this same strategy in Deuteronomy chapter 6 to instruct the child Jesus who God entrusted to their midst. Yes, he was fully God, but he's also fully man. And Luke chapter 2 tells us that when he went down with Joseph and Mary after being gone for a few days, he came to Nazareth, was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. His humanity, his manhood developed And Deuteronomy chapter 6, a lot of times, I don't know what happened. We have some kind of crazy amnesia. The Holy Family was a Jewish family. Joseph was Jewish, Mary was Jewish, Jesus was Jewish, and they were faithful to what God had commanded Moses. They followed Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if Deuteronomy chapter 6 is good enough for Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I do think it's good enough for Catholics today. Okay, I just thought we'd get that cleared up. All right, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is regarded by Jews as just a central uh, scripture for their whole nation. In fact, they were basically a, a, a bunch of families that God was now developing into a nation. And Deuteronomy chapter 6 is God's call to himself. And there's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the great Shema, which in Hebrew, Shema simply means to hear. But it's not like, you know, sometimes when our kids disobey that you say, you know, went in one ear and out the other. No, to hear is to let what God says reverberate in the deepest part of our being. And then when it reverberates there, it sticks. And then it grows and it becomes part of our direction in life. And so we start walking in the way of the Lord. We just don't hear something walk out of church after hearing the gospel or the scriptures and not pay any attention to it as far as how we live our life. This is God calling the nation of Israel to himself. And he says in Deuteronomy 6, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the ordinances with the Lord your God commanded me. So Moses is now reverberating this to the children of Israel, that you may fear the Lord your God, you, your son, and your son's son. I just want to let you in a little author's secret. I wrote a book for Catholic dads entitled Legacy, and believe me, I did not go through a thesaurus trying to pick out a catchy word to put on the cover of my book. Now, legacy is one of the most powerful terms in Scripture, and in that is God's promise that the faith, you, you know, we keep our fingers crossed. Oh, oh, yeah, my son's a sophomore in high school, and he's still going to Mass. He's still faithful, and, and you know, you're, you're wringing your hands. You know, my daughter's a, you know, a junior in college, and she's still— fa- no. That's great. Don't get me wrong, but the, the, the vision of legacy 
is our faith that God has planted in our hearts is to go fully and completely to our children's lives, all of their lives, and then it says to you, your son, and your son's son, your grandson. So this is how the faith goes down the generations. And God's saying, do this, what I'm saying in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and your faith goes to your grandchildren. Right now, the faith, you know, between the 18 and 29, and I don't have at my fingertips what's going on with the teenagers, Catholic teenagers, but I can guarantee you with the 18 to 29 group, the majority, aren't. it's not even lasting to your son. And God's plan is to go all the way to your son's son. This is God's plan of a legacy of faith. So, what is it? In verse 4, God says, hear Shema. This is a great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This is the great monotheistic statement of faith in the Old Testament. It's kind of like the, uh, if for no other better term, kind of like the apostles or the Nicene Creed of the Old Testament. There's one God. But then number five goes right along with it. There's when Moses was saying this, there are no verse divisions. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words, which I command you this day, shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, and you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now let's break this down. I've tried to make this as clear and as straightforward as possible. Three steps here out of Deuteronomy 6 to make the faith stick in the most horrible cultural situations imaginable. And not just stick through the teen years or maybe the 20s, that the faith will be powerful enough to go from parent to child to grandchild and keep on going. This is God's plan, but we need to follow God's plan if we want God's blessing. So here they are, three things. First of all, this teaching is primarily relational. And by relational, I'm not talking about the emotions. Uh, Maybe emotions are involved and they probably are involved. But when I say primarily relational, the Bible is called a covenant. And when it says love God, it doesn't mean that you have kind of like Uh, warm, fuzzy feelings or uh, romantic feelings like in a Valentine's card or the feelings you'd have like you love your puppy. And of course, you love your puppy. But this is something far more profound. This is where our whole being, our hearts are joined to God. And so the first step is not just like slinging out a catechism, and don't get me wrong, we are to use our catechisms, but this isn't just religious facts, he's saying. We're talking about the knowledge of the living God needs to be upon your heart. The teacher has to have upon your heart. And if you want to know what's causing kids to fall away today, 
what's causing kids who have had extensive religious education, who have had extensive catechesis to go off to college and leave the faith, what causes them to leave is that they have facts in their head about God, but in order for it to stick, it needs to be on their heart. And so if you want your students to have the faith on their heart, you have to start with the teacher. And the teacher is mom and dad. And these commandments shall be upon your heart. That's the first step. Fall in love with God. And I'm not, again, talking about some shallow little emotional thing. I mean your whole being attached to God. That's the way it works. Not just your head, not just some apologetic facts, that you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Then you're ready to teach. And what do you teach? You teach your children to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. That's it. But you try to do all the fancy stuff without doing this, and they'll walk away from the faith. You try to load them up with religious facts and knowledge and years of education and everything else. If you don't hit the heart, they're going to be walking away. Okay? Faith is more than notional thoughts. It's something that's the deepest part of us that is that true binding between ourselves and God. It, it sticks. It keeps us together with God. And it's so powerful, so wonderful, so transforming that it keeps going even after we've left this earth and our descendants. Okay, that was the first step. We're trying to, God says, this has to be on your heart because what are you trying to do in teaching your children? To love God, the great Shema with all their hearts, souls, and mind. But if you don't, how are they? And it's not just relaying religious information head to head. It's heart to heart. And by heart, again, I'm not just saying emotions. I'm saying that deepest part of us. Number two, and it's already obvious, already related to this, but it's totally ignored by the majority of Catholics who are hearing my voice right now. And the people who are hearing my voice are generally the more serious Catholics. But it's this. It's taught by parents to children, period. It's taught by parents to children, period. It's taught by parents to children, period. This is the educational strategy that works. When you're on the border of the promised land and about to go in, people who are burning their babies before their eyes to a pagan idol, who are committing sodomy, who thinks prostitution is a religious act, that's a cultural situation that just unimaginable. And God says, if parents will do this, and again, we need to start talking about catechists and religious education experts and religious education seminars and all this other. We need to focus on parents and getting them equipped to teach their children. Why is that? You've heard me say this, and I'm going to say it again. The strength of faith conveyed to a child is directly proportional to the strength of the relationship between teacher and student. And if those who have the closest and most profound bond share flesh and blood DNA with those children are the parents. They have the relationship, therefore they can convey the relationship. If the parents, parents have the relationship with God, his love is upon their hearts, and they have the relationship with their children, they can convey a faith that sticks in the deepest parts of their beings, in their hearts. And then number three, 
kind of obvious, but apparently it's not obvious. There's no mention of classrooms, but only homes, family travel. It says when you walk in the way. So I guess it's kind of un-American today to walk. So we'll put in while you're in the minivan or in the SUV, okay, and daily family life. That's the, so to speak, classroom. It's the family room. It's not a sterile classroom. Everybody sits in desk and have a blackboard and a teacher that may or may not know your child's name and probably has very, very, very little relational connection with them. Now, if your chief goal is to impart abstract facts about God, then classroom instruction should be primary. But if your primary goal in religious formation is to assist a child to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and might, then the family room is the context primary context for religious formation. Now, does this mean that we need to ditch classrooms? No, but they have become primary. Despite all the religious talk in Catholic circles about parents being the primary educators of their children, in the vast majority of parishes, that's not the case. There are grand exceptions, but they're few. They're too few. Now, if you have parents truly as the primary educators of their children, and the parents can open up the child's heart to a love for God, then when the religious educators come in, they have a wonderful foundation to build upon as they instruct the child, a school, a youth group, a catechetical class, whatever it might be. But if you try to put teachers and classes and schools and everything upon a child, apart from a relational context, apart from a relation with the living God whom they're taught to love by their parents, then you're trying to build on something without a foundation. And, and they're just going to walk away. We need to remember that the primary organ of spiritual understanding, knowledge, and insight, according to the scripture, is the heart. Uh, as Westerners, we frequently think of the heart as the seat of emotions and the mind, the head, as the part where we really do the serious thinking. And obviously, we don't discount our heads, but the center of everything, um, the scripture actually has a different word for what we think of emotions, and it's not in the heart, it's like the belly. Uh, out of the bowels of compassion or whatever. The heart is, is where the action is, so to speak. A very favorite verse for a lot of evangelists, and it should be a favorite of Catholics since it's a Roman Catholic epistle, uh, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For man believes with his heart, and so is justified. He confesses with his lips, and so is saved. Now, I guarantee you that, I dare say, 90% of both Protestants and Catholics, when they either proclaim or hear this verse, they think, if you believe in your mind certain facts about Jesus, uh, and then you... Uh, confess that, you will be saved. But it, the text says, if you believe in your heart, what? We think we believe in our heads. 
And that's why our kids walk away. If they believe in their heart, the faith sticks because it's in the innermost part of them. And it says in verse 10, for man believes with his heart. What? I thought it was my head. Well, it certainly is your head, but it's a deeper part of you than simply some notional facts about God. It's about loving him and those who love us from the first moment of our birth can open our hearts to love God. And that's why a parent with just the most basic, and I'm not talking about any theological expertise at all, but a parent with the most basic knowledge of God, and particularly that knowledge that believes from the heart and that knows God from the depths of his or her being, mom or dad, is capable of conveying a faith that sticks with a child. They're the best people to open a child's heart. Everything else in traditional Catholic education will work immeasurably more effective if mom and dad do this, except we concentrate on everything else. We say mom and dad are primary, but are we actually living up to what we say? Now, I'm going to give you next week a, oh, I would say three places in the Bible that mom and dad can use to form the hearts of their children. And it takes a little bit of effort, and it takes a little bit of learning, but I'm going to work hard to make it easy for you, and I'm going to try to make it easier than programming that old VCR in your attic, okay? Um, And we're going to look at how parents can use the book of Proverbs, how parents can use the Sunday readings in the gospel at home, and how parents can use the Gospel of John in a very special way uh, to teach some things about Jesus in the depths of their children's heart. And then that's three things, and if you want four as a bonus, we might talk a little bit about the book of Psalms. So that's what we're going to be doing in the next week or two, is trying to open up these scriptures and show how parents can open up the hearts of their children. And, you know, we're in spiritual warfare. Um, The pits of hell are opened. Uh, There's a demonic assault uh, upon our children. But believe me, I haven't given you religious mumbo jumbo in this broadcast. I've tried to give you cast iron truth that works in the very worst of spiritual situations. And I trust you'll heed and say, mom and dad, um, we want to take it upon ourselves to open the hearts of our children to the living God. Until next time, this is Steve Wood with Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.